Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's me, the Wedge Wizard, Holden McNeely. You might have been covered in stalls and shoot flames, but I'm that simple wedge that's going to ruin your day. <laughs> and in this corner, weighing 250 pounds, a gnarled mass of lithium-ion batteries, titanium plating, and the biggest fucking gnarly wheel you've ever seen. It's your king, vertical spinner, Wizmaster. Jake, uh, wait, wait, I'm not, I'm a, wait, I'm, wait, wait, what am I fighting? I'm, I'm just a guy. I'm just a, what? Holy shit. No, no. Get me out of this box. Get me out of this. That thing has 800 saw blades. You no. cannot leave the box. No. Ah! And this is not an episode about saw the franchise. We've already covered that. We did it last October. No, today we're talking about battle bots and I'm so excited it's to talk about this. fighting time. Is it, are they robots? Actually, no, but that's fine. <laughs> we'll call them robots anyways. I am so excited to talk about this today. I was just screaming about this to Jake, but you know, I really went into this episode feeling like, personally, big fan of Comedy Central. At the exact time, BattleBots was a huge thing, but my favorite show, definitely not BattleBots, and it was, I, I enjoyed that it existed. I would enjoy it you know, at a glance from time to time, but I was never a huge BattleBots fan. I came into this episode feeling like, oh, this will just be like a really interesting thing to learn about how it came to be, how it Comedy Central of all places ended up picking it up. But I walked away knowing now that BattleBots today, BattleBots in 2024 is fucking awesome, dude. There have been multiple seasons leading up through the last one ran and aired in 2023, and the battle bots that exist today is the battle bots you think you remember from back in the day. But if you actually watch back in the day, it's like Carmen Electra not needing to be there, having no interest in the, in the actual sport. And yes, I'm calling it a sport. And then it cuts to these like very boring looking, basic as fuck, like gray, no design aesthetic, really kind of Triangles and rectangles bumping into each other. Multiple wedges, wedging, (laughs) giving each other wedgies. And, uh, you know, and and you... you Oh, not only that, but there's like all these different weight classes. So like all the cool robots are at the, you know, the big ass ones that like have giant destructive like saw blades on them are all like 
at the end of the episode in the last few minutes yes. and you got to watch the lightweights just kind of bip and bap each other with little hammers. <laughs> it's so like I watched hours of this show uh, back in the day on Comedy Central and you know, either I was waiting for a South Park rerun or I was just like mindlessly eating popcorn and just like yeah, waiting for the daily show. Like snacking all afternoon because it was the summer and Comedy Central was just the go to. <laughs> That's what I, at least that was me. That was but me. But it personally. was only on the air for two years. They cranked out five seasons with like four fights per episode. So, like, it just the amount, it just in a moment of like pure. Early high school, late grade school receptiveness. I just like this show imprinted on me in such a way and learning the actual story behind its creation, behind its development, all the twists and turns that like made it into the uh, property that it is right now. What I did not think there would be this much cloak and dagger, high technology, like showbiz know how happening. It was this is. This this hobby could be your life very easily. Oh, and yeah. for a lot of our nation's fiddly little nerds, it is. Yeah, it's it's a it's a sport for engineers, for people who can kind of solve their way out of anything using math and steel. <laughs> and it's really, really, really cool once you get in, into that. And you know, I think what Comedy Central's version of it lacked, and what the new version really provides in such a great, strong way is more coverage on these badass engineering teams that come from all over the place that are, some of them are MIT students. Some of them work for fucking NASA. Some are just some podunk kids in their garage <laughs> that had some idea for a badass robot because they watched the show religiously. And and you know what? They're beating the NASA guys. And that's what I love too. This is also a sport where money doesn't buy your way to the top necessarily. We have, there's so many instances in fact i read only instances of people's multi-thousand dollar robots that they brought in with all this all this support and backing getting cremated <laughs> by like two kids from nebraska you know and it just just come just using their wits and i love it there's so much of that like david and goliath stuff happening inside of it and then on top of it they're this is a story filled with legal battles. It tells some a little bit of the story of Comedy Central in its heyday. It it's the story of trying to create a new sport of like a, un, the, a underground like robot fights. How cool is that? Like literally meeting up under overpasses <laughs> and making their robots fight during the what they call the dark days when the show was off Comedy Central and and not in the spotlight nearly also, as much. Also, James Cameron shows up at a certain James point for Cameron's no reason. James Cameron's just in the mix at some point. It's really incredible. I loved. I, I I'm so excited to tell these uh, these guys' story. There's tragedy in this. There's absolutely a lot of um, uplifting, wonderful stuff. There's there's funny stories in here. It's really cool, and it really spans a lot more than what I thought it would be. I mean, I really thought BattleBots was just telling the story of a TV show that ran in the, what, late 90s, mm -hmm. uh, right? Uh, early aughts, I think just late 90s. And, you know, that was that's about it. There's something about that pre-9-11 Comedy Central vibe yeah. that... South Park Daily Show Man Show BattleBots era that was like so key to my emotional development mm -hmm. and just just peeling away maybe 
the most uh, superfluous little like uh, flap on that construct and seeing all this history happen was really rewarding this week. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's so cool. And I love when like a bunch of nerds get together and create something so badass as this. And, you know, there's still live events you can go see. Uh, and and really, really, I, I, I'm... I don't know where else you can see it, but I think you can find it up uh, d- many different avenues. But I've been watching it on Max. Uh, definitely, definitely go check out what BattleBots is now because it has never been better. You can go to Las Vegas and see the Destructathon live show yes. where they have like exhibition matches. And basically, the it's the arena they use in the show. Just like kind of they found a permanent home for this a million dollar Lexan cage that they have to like keep upkeep on yeah there's just something profoundly viscerally rewarding of seeing a 250 pound machine with little googly eyes on it drive into another one and fling it halfway across a stadium <laughs> with sparks and fire everywhere i mean and we're talking there's now we've got open flame we've got just giant saws. The machines are all massive. There's no weight classes anymore. So they're all like, what, 200, 200 pounds, I believe? 250 it's, pounds? It's two, the, the standard BattleBot weight is 250. That is wild, dude. The super heavyweights back in the day were like up to 350. And, that's, uh, and then there's the walker mm. uh, rule they had where if you didn't just use wheels, you could add more weight. But then people like got kind of fucky with it just to like make their machines heavier. It's 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 a sport. There's strategy, but it's also a show. So like the what makes it to these like fight nights and makes it onto the TV show is, uh, you know, you got to like pitch it. You got to, you know, get the CAD files up. You got to prove to these producers and to this uh, this I get what do you even call this? This machine itself, mm-hmm. the BattleBots machine that. You're not just going to throw in a wedge and a buzzsaw and call it a day. You're going to offer something new, something that changes up the meta, something that is bringing a little spice to the <laughs> I festivities. Lo- I love one one team's idea that was just a, a, a battle bot with a bucket of water on it that you just douse the other battle bot <laughs> with. the electronics, just, yeah. But people are trying all sorts of shit, and they want new ideas because we already mentioned the dreaded wedge meta that happens almost immediately in the sport, which we'll get into the history of and everything very, very soon. But uh, yeah, that that... That can hold things back a lot, you know? I mean, for a while there, everything was just a wedge. Everything was just flipping the other thing over, which is hilarious, by the way, to watch this thing covered in, like, fucking blades and (laughs) flames and all this stuff, and then just this simple wedge just flips it over, and and the match is done. That is a very fun thing to see once, but to see it over and over again, it becomes a problem. So it has been a very interesting line to toe for these guys trying to figure out what makes this thing as entertaining as it can be while also, you know, making it as legitimate of a sport. I think the other thing that I really appreciated with them talking about um, how they handle the actual tournament and everything, they, they always try to get across like, hey, this isn't a reality show. This isn't, there's no bullshit happening. We, the, these judges are legitimate. The robots are all legit. Nothing. There's no, you know, 
planned outcomes here. We once once they're in the arena, it comes down to what kills what, and that is all they're interested in. And it's so I mean, Riptide versus Copperhead is a little iffy, <laughs> but honestly, it was anyone's call then. I'm just saying. And apparently, just the sheer camaraderie of the different engineering teams is incredible. We're talking about you know engineers driving out to to their buddy's place who works on an opposing team to help them with their battle bot so that they can be the most powerful, interesting thing to fight in the arena because they all believe in this sport. It's something they all really care about and want to become as legitimate as humanly possible. I have utmost respect for this whole thing now that we've covered it fully. Uh, Maybe not as much uh, some of the decisions Comedy Central made. Definitely not uh, the fuckface that sued the original creator into oblivion Ugh. so that he couldn't be a part of uh, ba- what BattleBots eventually became. Imagine being such a fucking supervillain that you're persona non grata amongst old school hip hop heads and robot builders. <laughs> like that's too to be, yeah, it's just, too is that you sue every you sue the other person until they just like go away bankrupt. But anyways, we'll get into it. Let's talk about BattleBots, a robot combat television series in which competitors design and control armored machines via a remote as they fight in arena combat. It is based on a live untelevised competition conceived by a man named Mark Thorpe called Robot Wars back in the 90s. It aired for five seasons on Comedy Central starting in the year 2000, then moved over to ABC for a season, then moved again to Discovery Channel for another five seasons, which adds up to 12 seasons total. And again, I cannot... I cannot stress this enough. Definitely go check out those newer seasons of the show. Um, they are streaming and they are great. All right. Let's first off get into, you know, the fact that Mark Thorpe is the man initially, but uh, there were some other robot battle competitions that predates Mr. Thorpe. In 1989, the Mile High Con, a science fiction convention in Denver, uh, 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 at that, a small group of engineers that, that called themselves the Denver Mad Scientist Club started holding competitions called the Critter Crunch. This involved much smaller machines than BattleBots, no bigger than one cubic foot, but they did battle to the death in this competition as well, uh, much like BattleBots. And this event spread via word of mouth to other conventions, such as DragonCon in Atlanta, uh, where they started putting on their own machine fights. But still, you got to cut to 1992, and oddly enough, Skywalker Ranch. Mark Thorpe uh, is a visual effects artist and model maker. He worked on such, you know, small indies as Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> uh, the Indiana Jones movies, Batteries Not Included, which I had to throw in there because that feels like such a I mean- pre-BattleBots thing. Uh, and, uh, yeah, um, they, he wanted to, uh, well, it's a weird story. I'll let him tell it himself. Uh, he's, he's, uh, at Skywalker ranch and he's pitching products to Mattel. And he said, I present an idea that would involve vehicles that had weapons, hammers and saws and things like that. And Mattel looked at the idea and their comment was somebody's going to figure out how to, how to do this. And that was that. Meanwhile, I was pushing an idea for a radio-controlled vacuum cleaner, something to make vacuuming fun, and it wasn't going anywhere. So when I got turned down in the toy presentation, I decided to take the vacuum cleaner off my radio-controlled tank and put weapons on. Then I decided to stage an event, Robot Wars. 
Uh, he then pulled in fellow effects artists for Industrial Light and Magic named Mark uh, Satrakian and Mark's high school buddy, Peter Abrahamson. Those two were already workshopping an event centered around monster trucks with weapons. They really liked Thorpe's idea and, and hopped aboard. And so they put in a trademark for Robot Wars, then attempted and failed getting events to happen because they have a lot of issues getting these startup capital. They, they, this wasn't a immediately a thing. Uh, and the way they finally managed to get some eyes on the project was by sending promotional material to Wired Magazine, uh, and they ran a one-page story about it. Alongside the story was a picture of Mark Thorpe standing next to an army tank with a gasoline-powered chainsaw. And a guy named Dan Dankirk, who would be a future BattleBots participant, said, I ripped the page out and I put it on the wall of the cubicle of the software company I was working at and just dreamed about what Robot Wars was <laughs> going to be like. Needless to say, the article worked, and they managed to uh, actually get this thing off the ground. It's it's such a you can tell he's from like the he has a toy background. He worked for like LucasArts toy division at this point, and he kind of there was a lot of things going on. He was diagnosed with um, Parkinson's disease. He knew that LucasArts was going to drop their toy division. He was kind of like adrift and just. His one dream, his one thing that he thought would like be his legacy was specifically a a series of toys of battle bots and that the best way to get the word out and to like make this an appealing toy wasn't just to convince someone to make the toys, but to make the sport popular and then have those designs be licensed and like kind of kind of like a weird mashup of starting lineup figures and action figures all like combined into one. It was a very interesting way to go about this being like, well, I guess I just got to start hosting my own robot tournaments. This is like clearly the only way this line of toys is ever going to get off the ground. <laughs> Mark Satrakian, who you mentioned earlier, is a great roboticist. He was uh, also inducted into the uh, BattleBots Hall of Fame recently. Uh, he has such amazing uh, robots he'd created. The Master, which I can only describe as a giant dick and balls with a buzzsaw attached to it. The uh, Snake, the giant robotic snake. Not effective really in battle, but it was in fact a snake. Just really cool looking. Definitely look it up. And uh, God, if Lord help me, if I can remember, uh, Satrakian Spider Robot. <laughs> this thing was my oh, favorite that fucking thing. Yeah. God, what was it called? What was it fucking? It was something. It was called something like Arachna or Mechadon. It was Mechadon. <laughs> fucking. I loved Mechadon with all of my heart. It completely impractical, constantly losing. But it was just this beautiful, just monstrosity of curved steel spider legs. And just just it looked like nothing else. I was entranced by Mechadon. Uh, Satrakian always tried to break the uh, wedge meta as much as possible. Hello, Ed Larson and Amber Nelson from the brighter side here to check in with you. See how you're doing. Is your day more disappointing than a gas station sandwich? Are you trying to put one foot in front of the other in a glue factory? Did you try to throw your air fryer in the bathtub, but nothing happened because you were too lazy to plug it in first? Oh. Then the Brighter Side Podcast is for you! Oh, yeah! 
Each week we take nasty, dookie, stupid, dumb, stinky, no good, doo-doo factory, caca-like topics, and try to find the brighter side. Hey, Amber, uh, what's the brighter side of waking up chained to a bed in Russia? Um, at least they have free health care. That's right. So start your weekend off right every Friday with the brighter side on the last podcast network. You beautiful babies. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yes, the Wedge meta is such a difficult mountain to uh, overtake. Such a challenge for, for them. From almost the very beginning, uh, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, we'll definitely be talking, saying the word wedge quite a lot throughout the course of this episode. So Thorpe ends up getting all this interest, some starting capital, but it's really the deal he makes with Profile Records and Evil Steve Plotnicki, the guy who we were kind of referring his to. Na- earlier. He has plot in his plot name. In his name, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. He makes a deal with this guy. To sponsor the first event, which would be held at the Fort Mason Center in San Francisco. Uh, speaking of Satrakian, Satrakian hits up a very important player for the future of BattleBots, Greg Munson. Maybe the most important, uh, him and his cousin Trey, who is about to join as well. And uh, the first Robot Wars competition drew in over a thousand spectators, including Greg Munson, to watch 18 competitors duke it out for the most lethal robot. It was held in August of 1994. Greg Munson said, it's crowded. I can't see what's going on. The bleachers are blocking my view. And I walk around the edge and there's an opening. And I hear this mayhem, this and banging noises and smell this weird smell. I turn the corner and boom, there's these little remote controlled car robots with weapons crashing into each other, smashing into each other, essentially killing each other. (laughs) He also said it had the feeling of a cockfight, but one that was politically correct. There was a lot of theatrical value. I was very careful with the lighting. I I had traps that energized the space. I came up with a bowling ball that would swing continuously over the (laughs) arena. That graceful, silent motion was the great counterpart to this frenetic, intense action that went on in the arena. People embraced this thing like it was the answer to the primeval questions of life and death. (laughs) He's very serious. He would go on to design a lot of the traps and stuff, so that's what he's referring to there. But I love the thing about the cockfight and uh, the idea that, you know, he's... He really has a lot of interesting philosophy about our need to see things get destroyed. I mean, uh, and I love this that. first event was very silly. I have to say uh, among the competitors was Andy Royd, which was a uh, small robotic child on a big wheel tricycle. 
as well as Julie Bot, which was a big triangle on wheels with a woman's mannequin head and a wig on it. And Satrakian's <laughs> The Master was the big standout. Seemed to take the whole thing. The only safety measure, by the way, for the audience at this time, and knowing that it's now this like incredibly protective giant cube of uh, I don't even know what they what do they use it's plexiglass uh, it is polycarbonate uh-huh. it is uh b- more famously known by the name brand Lexan but it's the same bulletproof glass that you might see at a bank window or at a Kennedy fried chicken in a less than desirable neighborhood it is uh relatively expensive to buy in those thick sheets and uh it's hard to set up as well the handful of times And I don't actually recommend watching this. There's actually some very upsetting footage you can find on YouTube of robots going out of control and shattering uh, under reinforced cages is upsetting. But in modern official BattleBots history, there has not been a injury (laughs) relating from cage failure yet. Which blows me away. And especially because the first event, it was literally just a wooden railing one foot tall around the arena. Oh, God. That is insane. The second Robot Wars competition takes place in 1995, and they bump up to 49 competitors with a professional announcer now in the mic. So we're getting a little more, a little more for real. And that's where La Machine comes in and the Wedge meta. You've got Greg Munson. He uh, ends up uh, hooking up with his neighbor, Greg uh, Kachios. And uh, they decide to create a robot together to fight a battle bot. And, and, and then they bring in another hugely important person to all of this, Trey Roski. It really is going to be Greg Munson and Trey Roski to thank for why BattleBots is alive today, how it gets on Comedy Central, everything. Trey is Greg's cousin. Trey is also that kid who could drive that remote control car the best, better than everybody. He ends up getting a, a license to become a helicopter pilot. He's the pilot. He's like the guy. He really brings in the proof that your machine is only as good as the person behind the controls because you can get a lot of mileage with, you know, maybe a subpar robot if you are really, really good at handling that thing. Uh, So Greg said, I had about 20 ideas, crazy ideas, like a spinning robot or a rolling robot, and I told them all to gauge. Was his name Gage, not Greg? Yes, it's Greg Munson, Gage Couchios, and Trey Ross. Kashwa? So, it's, it's, it seems French. It seems. Yeah, either way, I'm sure I'm butchering it. He's from Oakland. And I, told them, I don't, I don't yeah. think it's. At least he's not a mangaka, so people aren't going to be uh, furiously typing right now as we speak. I mean, he created Vlad the Impaler, <laughs> one of the great flipper bots of our day. So uh, uh, I told them all to gauge, said Greg, and he poo-pooed them. He's one of these classic engineers where it's keep it simple, stupid. Form follows function. Don't make it too complicated. So he said, let's build something simple, something to get underneath and flip them over. The wedge, it was ugly. It looked like a doorstop. But Gage was a brilliant engineer, and we powered the crap out of that with basically a car battery. At the competition, I mean, it really was. Didn't they just pull a car battery out of uh, a a buddy's car and then use it to power it and then would, like, reinstall it? You have to understand, at this stage, uh, lithium-ion batteries, the kind that you can find in your phone, in drones, in modern remote-control cars, in uh, remote-control planes... Even fucking your your electric vehicles, like there are cars running on this on on that that was like not in the not readily available to your average tinkerer, if at all. If I like have to look it up, so yeah, we're dealing with car batteries, 
We're dealing with uh, internal combustion engines. We're dealing with power tool batteries. Like you really had to figure out how to just get the most power into your thing. And to, uh, I remember Greg Munson is definitely like the the talkie mm-hmm. of the uh, duo with uh, with Trey. He's like in charge of you know managing uh, teams. He's in charge of talking to press. He even will say that like during these early La Machine days, you know he wasn't like the guy building stuff as much. He was the guy filming promo videos and getting flyers ready and like helping with uh, more like aesthetic aspects to. The uh, Robot Wars Enterprise, including helping Mark Thorpe in various promotional ways. And he said in one of these many interviews that I've been watching that the initial La Machine was like literally held together with like light switch relays. Like there was no power control at all. You just like it was on, it was going and that was it. And it was up to Roski's just it controllability to just keep these bursts of power under control. So they show up at this competition and I mean, it is the classic. It's like out of an eighties movie. Like everyone's like laughing at them behind their back. It looks like a glorified doorstep. This, this dumb thing. It's called La machine. Imagine I would say like an Amazon box with just like a nice little slope up the front. Like just a, yeah, not even like a sharp ramp. It's it's, it just looks basic and soft. But the one thing they did nail is that slope was just the perfect height floating just barely a micrometer above the ground. And so they could get underneath any and all of these robots. And so this thing just starts fucking manhandling every single robot in the competition. It is a middleweight. We had weight classes back then, light, middle, and heavy. It was a middleweight uh, robot, and it is just destroying the competition to the point where everyone starts getting so hype about it. They're like chanting La Machine. It's like, it just builds this momentum. I mean, it's a beautiful three-syllable. You can easily chant. You got La Machine. Yeah. La Machine. People are going crazy to the point where there's this last-minute entry of La Machine into the rumble this is a fight to the death between all the winning heavyweight robots and at the very last minute they're like because everyone's just chanting for la machine so hard they say stop and they like do the whole thing they like bring la machine into this Wait a crazy minute. that's la machine's music and so and so it goes up against all these crazy expensive robots uh, developed by all these like high-end engineering groups and it just fucking destroys them. It wins the rumble. But unfortunately, that also is why the wedge meta started. And just so early on, I can't believe how early it was because we were all talking about the wedge meta when we were watching BattleBots together for our Sunday study session, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. 15 bucks a month gets you in on that study sesh on Discord every Sunday. When we were talking about the Wedge meta. I cannot believe it's literally the second competition they held untelevised that this Wedge meta becomes an immediate huge deal. Another big entry in this 1995 tournament is a dome-shaped monstrosity by the name of Blendo. Mm. Blendo was created by, I don't know if you've ever heard these names before, Jamie Heineman and Adam Savage. You know them, they're the Mythbusters. Blendo's claim to fame was that it was a steel dome with a low-to-the-ground spinning uh, kind of ring with some steel bolted on outcroppings, like blades, basically, that 
Jamie Heineman had to, with a power drill, manually start the gas chainsaw motor that operated the weapon. This caused a joint heavyweight championship because uh, although the master, he was due to uh, compete with the master, uh, the master really just did not want pieces of it launching into the crowd in order to like, just because it was doing so much damage. This was like the first big like controversy of the sport was like, is there such a thing as too fucking rad <laughs> that it's going to kill somebody? <laughs> I love it. Uh, so in, in exchange for withdrawing as a safety hazard, they decided to uh, grant the Master and Blendo co-heavyweight champions for this. So before we get to BattleBots on Comedy Central, we have Robot Wars as the first TV show iteration of this event. And this airs on BBC Two. Oh, wait. Hold on. I mean, you got to get into the, the, the nightmare lawsuit that well, yeah, led up to all of this Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, a group, Mentorn, purchased the worldwide television rights from Profile Records in 1995 after seeing a tape of a live event. Profile does not discuss this deal with Thorpe. Mark Thorpe, who really came up with the whole thing, got the sponsorship, got the money from Profile, uh, uh, was not really keyed in to this deal. And uh, this leads to a lot of legal issues between Profile, namely one Steve Plotnicki and Mark Thorpe. And though Mentorn did apparently use Thorpe as a consultant for Robot Wars, I did, I did read that. But still, he's really shut out in a lot of ways. And so uh, they end up just do like essentially Plotnicki is one of those guys that just has the capital, has the ability. If if he wants you out, if he wants to make all the money, essentially, he would he knows how to just lawyer your ass into oblivion. And he was just this bully using the courts, you know, classic. So this fight is breath like blow by blow told in the book Gearheads the turbulent rise of robotic sports by Brad Stone and as soon as Thorpe and Plotnicki shake hands to on a 50-50 split so that means in theory nobody can act without the other one's permission it just completely fucks over Thorpe and his ability to keep the community going every New event, he's like trying to get funding made. His own salary is constantly being questioned. He's like trying to meet with toy companies and like they're playing so much hardball that they can't get anything done. And Plotnicki keeps getting Thorpe into court over and over again to try and yeah, literally harangue him till he just leaves. Meanwhile, his Parkinson's is progressing more and more. He's like, he's not helping himself either. Uh, throughout this process, because uh, he is constantly uh, communicating with the community about all the ways Plotnicki is fucking with him, mm. uh, including the fact that uh, he is by uh, contract supposed to be like helping the Robot Wars brand and promoting the brand with the community. Early forums are getting legal takedown notices because people are shitting on uh, profile records and Plotnicki is trying to shut them down. People are getting so frustrated that they're starting alternate events. Uh, Robotica is one made by uh, Greg Klein, I believe. And uh, that gets shut down because of Plotnicki's legal haranguing. Like, at this point, people are so upset and are so on the side of Thorpe that 
like they're like wondering if they're even going to uh, boycott this new robot war show because of just how mistreated they feel by this big money guy who's interloping. This same guy, Plotnicki, by the way, uh, famously got into a huge legal battle with Run DMC. Yeah, that was like, like big reputation before. It was like fucking over them yeah. out of out of a bunch of money, even though they were the creatives that brought everything to it. All he did was bring money to it. Exactly. It's one of those situations. And these are true dark days. They cannot put an event together without getting a cease and desist from Plotnicki. They can't even just do like their you know, low budge live event thing that they were working on. Trey Roski said a lot of us would get together under freeways and underpasses or go to old abandoned air force bases and fight our robots on the runway. We'd send out emails that would say, Hey, meet you at Hamilton field at eight o'clock Sunday morning and just show up and do crazy kinds of stuff. You know, and we're talking tequila, <laughs> cocaine, clowns pissing themselves. It was a nightmare. I y'all. mean, it sounds like I, the ex, the whatever the like '90s uh, Silicon Valley like equivalent of that is is like Will Wright showed up under an underpass and like watched uh, Trey and Greg uh, unveil Ginsu, their new robot that had buzzsaw blades <laughs> for wheels. <laughs> I can't believe no one got. By the way, guys, just a quick side. I truly cannot believe knowing more people did not get more injured creating these like nightmare machines. Like I with really don't get lit, it with no supervision. Yeah. With no, <laughs> it seems like they're really scary because I always thought that they were really tiny, but they're not. They're like really big and can kill you. Mm-hmm. Like like just straight up. Like they're fucking scary. It's it's wild. To no, me. they're they're it's it's like God designed something specifically made to chop your legs off. You know, but this is the this is the game change moment right here. Trey Roski, Trey Roski's got his own ace up his sleeve. He's got motherfucking money. His daddy is a actual billionaire. And so he's looking at all this and he's like, I want to fucking make this thing happen. I'm over this. This guy is just like stealing this thing from us. It's total bullshit. The show, by the way, massive success on the BBC in in, in the UK. Like, like it immediately starts getting gangbuster ratings. Uh, you know, and, and I love it too. Yeah, you you can tell even though it's like evil inherently, it is very fun in certain ways. You've got um Mick Foley hosting at points. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely this early version, non-comedy central version. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, 
I know there's a lot of fans of Robot Wars. It was on for years. A lot of, uh, especially, they re-aired it in America. A lot of people, like, it's during our Sunday study session, by the way, go to patreon.com forward slash whizbrew, learn how you can join our Discord and take part in our weekly meetings with the community to uh, do research on upcoming topics. It's a great old time. Highly recommend it. Uh, it was like, oh, I thought Robot Wars was BattleBots. This is the show I grew up with. Robot Wars... Because I think of Plotnicki's like real intense urge to make this into like the next Ninja Turtles had more of an American Gladiators vibe mm-hmm. than a full on sport because the center of attention on Robot Wars was the house robots. And these were, you know, shaped like uh, monsters and like bigger than all the other robots. And these poor amateur teams would come in, get their shit wrecked. And people would just talk about how the house I didn't I barely I don't don't ask me the name the house robots. But like if you bought toys, you would buy toys of the house robots. If you bought posters, you would buy posters of the house robots. And so it really left the community made robots and the teams that made them out of the money. Like they were basically just wasting money to get spanked on on television, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one of the things that definitely makes BattleBots a little more friendly and a little more pure, at least from my research, is the fact that teams are allowed to get independent sponsorships. Teams are allowed to sp- uh, agree on how prize money is split. Teams are like given more focus as the heroes of these shows, maybe not in the Comedy Central days. But it's like Robot Wars was definitely more of a product to sell tiny robot toys than BattleBots was. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very cynical. And what's cool, we're, we're actually going to come to find out there's a lot of generosity when it comes to BattleBots eventually. Uh, we, there's actually a lot of inclusion with these homemade teams uh, to get some money out of this property and not just like shut them out of all the profits they got. And that's a very cool thing. But before we get to that, Trey says, Greg, Mark, fuck it. We're doing it. I don't care. Fuck Robot Wars. We're creating our own event. We'll call it BattleBots, and it's going to happen. And Plotnicki... Well, Greg, uh, Greg tells a story about how um, uh, for the longest time, while well, in the planning stages, they were really hype on the uh, name Battle Droids. Ah. And it wasn't until the fact that they were like, wait a minute, don't we all work for ILM? <laughs> They're making a fucking new Star Wars movie. They're making the prequels. There's going to be it's lit. It's going to be droids up and down this whole thing. It's going to be nothing but battle droids. <laughs> Literally, like I think I saw an early script. I think 90 percent of the movie is Ewan McGregor being like, watch out. There's more battle droids. We got to change this name. <laughs> and battle bots became the compromise. So Plotnicki, of course, immediately sues. And this forces Mark out of the group, unfortunately. It is really such a sad part of this story. Mark was contractually obligated to support the Robot Wars brand. It was a no-compete clause in the the contract he signed with Plotnicki. It's really tragic. (laughs) It really bums me out that this happened. Again, again. Thorpe posted a series of highly passive aggressive forum posts being like, I don't know. I can't. I mean, if you want me to say BattleBots should die, I guess I'm saying BattleBots should die. I <laughs> legally got to say that. And so Plotnicki took that again to uh, sue Mark Thorpe and uh, and take a, and like at one point he was in the hole for like three hundred fifty thousand dollars. He had to keep getting like uh, appeals And then even when he was in the clear and got like a bare 10% cut of the proceeds from Robot Wars, Plotnicki 
tacked on producer fees and all this other shit just to make sure Thorpe was locked out of this thing. It's really brutal. It's so fucking annoying, but at least yay for Trey's billionaire daddy who <laughs> lends Trey his crack team legal team, right? So so you're saying he's a Nepo body. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a Nepo body. Trey manages to uh, finally take Plotnicki down with this like expert legal team. Uh, they go to trial, something Plotnicki was not used to. Most things get settled out of court with all this kind of stuff. But Trey's like calls him on his bluff. Finally, takes his ass to trial. He finally loses, and uh, Trey and Greg then hold an event on Long Beach. And uh, luckily, there's a guy in the audience for this first, finally, back to form live event for these guys. Uh, and this this guy who's in the audience, his name is Lenny Stucker. And uh, his claim to fame was HBO's boxing event, Friday Night Fights. He's a sports guy. This is perfect for them. That's what they want. They want a guy who has a mind for creating like real sporting events and taking the what they were trying to do more into that direction. And so, and that's what Lenny does. Lenny said. They were doing it more for their own entertainment, their own fun. They ran a five-minute round. They had double eliminations. I saw it more like boxing. I changed it to a three-minute round, one elimination. I put three judges in. I created the red corner and the blue corner, just like boxing. I changed it a lot from what it originally was to make it more conducive for television. And Lenny takes the show to a bunch of different networks, and they all turn him down, all the major ones. And so what he decides to do instead, using his boxing brain, he says, fuck it, we'll make it a pay-per-view event. And we'll, we'll create our proof of concept with that event. And that's exactly what happens. And with that event, with that, with that pay-per-view, uh, they managed to get it over at Comedy Central, specifically with uh, a person named Debbie Liebling. Uh, she really thought, she looked at it, she thought it was funny, she thought it was different, and she felt that it was, quote, sports for the nerdy person. The only catch, because it was for Comedy Central, it had to be funny. And this is the weird kind of twist on, so you've got these guys who are really passionate about this burgeoning sport. They want this thing to be treated like legitimately. And wouldn't you have it, uh, wouldn't you know it, uh, Comedy Central takes them on and says, but we need goofums as well. It should be noted that uh, Debbie Liebling is the one that greenlit South Park. She's really responsible for the kind of the, the great awakening of Comedy Central among the young male demographic. And her boss at Comedy Central, because she was a vice president, actually used to work for the BBC and knew exactly how popular Robot Wars was. And so he was already in, even with the tonal mismatch of the uh, show. At some point, I forget, they also had the pay-per-view. I think it was re-aired on uh, ZDNet mm. at a certain point. So they had like the pilot ready to go. They had footage of it in action. That really helped sell it as well. Here's another big important thing about BattleBots at, uh, for television, which is, I think a big major reason why it has continued to get aired. The first season, the entire first season is filmed over a one weekend. It, it's in August of, of the year 2000 in San Francisco. It's a single tournament, but with one weekend worth of footage, you've got your whole season. You have, because you've got all these classes, 
all these weight classes going up against each other in a bracket style competition. And so you can really spread that out over many, many episodes. And so I think that that is another huge, huge benefit for this whole thing being on television. They can just get so much out of so little in terms of time and, and production and everything. So uh, but uh, yes, you have this. Uh, you have this show being geared towards eighteen to twenty-four year old bros, uh, which is what the network catered for. So you know, it really harkens back to our G four episode and attack of the show and you know you just you've got these you've got comedy and sexy ladies thrown into the mix i want to give a big shout out though to baywatch star donna dierico because apparently she actually took the time did a ton of research learned all about the robots learned all about the teams like really was invested in this way that is just amazing but on the opposite of that was Carmen Electra, who just it seems that everyone just felt like was just the fucking worst when it comes to her casting for the show. It had no interest, literally just there for eye candy. And, you know, it's and it kind of it's it's the thing that makes the show in hindsight definitely a bit eye rolly. And there's none of that in the new show. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's so much so, so absent of that and and pure it's uh i really i mean i absolutely loved uh the way comedy was introduced i mean i was a fan of the sklar brothers i was a fan of like bill dwyer i was a f- arch barker was in the mix arch barker was like one of my favorite comics back then and uh somebody described it as uh it was like also shout out football commentator sean salisbury trying to be like Excellent maneuvering from uh, Nightmare. <laughs> and Bill Dwyer's just like, Nightmare, you're talking about my ex-wife? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Bill Dwyer a- with the famous bleach blonde hair and bl- pitch black goatee looking like Mark McGrath's stepdad. Uh, it's Somebody said the, the vibe was... It was somehow parodying a sports show without being a parody. Yeah. Which like really just made it so that the show itself wasn't taking the competition seriously. (laughs) But here's here's the anecdote that I think perfectly sums it up from Greg Munson. Jonathan Ritter, a brilliant engineer. They put him in a diaper and made him fight sumo against a giant sumo wrestler. Totally out of left field for robot combat. Maybe not the most appropriate thing. But the saving grace was when it came to the actual fights themselves, the actual battling of the bots, they did not they did not have any input or control over that. Those at least can maintain a purity that that you can you can go back and enjoy. But at the same time, man. So much has changed to make this a way more entertaining thing to watch today. I definitely say, again, just watch the new stuff. Not only is it absent of that Comedy Central 90s, more specifically 90s Comedy Central touch, so much technology has improved since those days, which we'll talk about, starting with the lithium batteries. And uh, as well, there's a lot more focus being put on these engineering teams in the show. Uh, and so much more uh, is of the spotlight is being given to those that really should be receiving it. These like Wild West nutbags that are in their garage just mad scientisting these insane contraptions to bring to an arena and have fight. And th- those people are interesting and their stories are interesting. Sure, they're a bunch of antisocial engineers, but they wear w- wacky hats and they have crazy shit to say. And uh, it's fun to it's fun to watch them work. Uh, it's I definitely it's it's literally uh, 
I have such fond memories of this era of BattleBots because there were so many fun designs. I'm thinking of uh, Tentamushi, which was this plastic like sandbox ladybug, like a Fisher Price ladybug that had a bunch of like buzz saws on the underside of it. So it, was, mm. it would open up and try and like swallow entire robots in it. Uh, I already talked about Mechadon. Biohazard, which was this low-to-the-ground wedge that had this huge lifting arm that would come up. R.I.P. Grant Imahara with his bot. Uh, Deadblow, which had this, like, super sharp hammer that would, like, come down on robots. But in practice, especially in the lightweight and middleweight category, just they would bump into each other. Someone would get wedged and flipped, and that would be it. Or they would just, like, knock around and nothing really would happen or they'd get trapped under the hammer and something and it would just like not do anything. Jay Leno had his own robot named Chinkilla that had a big gross Jay Leno face on it. Mm-hmm. You know, there was there was something palpable of like seeing Mechadon, the big spider that I was like uh gushing over earlier, just being like, "Oh, this is going to be rad." And then it just gets completely taken out by just something called Let's see, Scrap Daddy. Yeah, Scrap Daddy. <laughs> that's just like a big triangle. <laughs> just like the big triangle drove under it and just pushed it around for three minutes, and that was it. So season two also is held over a weekend with a tournament in Vegas, but season three is when it reached a new level as the ratings were were great. They even beat out South Park for a bit. They were like the ratings leader for a little while there, and this meant more competitors stepping into the ring, more sponsors, and one cool dude thing that Greg and Trey did that I alluded to earlier, they hooked up the builders with royalties, earning 15% of anything the show made on your robot that includes toy sales, which were pretty abundant at that time. That you know, some of the build teams were raking in over a hundred thousand dollars a year based on these royalties. They cut the engineer teams; they respected them and cut them in in a way that I feel like I don't see a lot when we do stories like these. It's really, really incredible. Uh, and again, the one person who really did lose out big, though, through all of this, Mark Thorpe receives nothing. It's such a shame. But the show hits its peak in the social zeitgeist on February 3rd of 2002, when during the beginning of the Super Bowl, literally like the commercial right after the kickoff, the one that's said to be the most expensive, is Bud Light, and it's a battle bot-like robot fighting a mini fridge with a Bud Light in it. <laughs> and they uh, were, they, Bud Light was not, uh, did not uh, give BattleBots any money for that or anything like that. They kind of they they, they were that was kind of like um, maybe not cool that they didn't bring them in at all for the you know the profits from the commercial or anything. But it was this gigantic exposure situation uh, and lawyers again fucking things up. And this is something Greg has talked about with regret, but. Uh, you know, the lawyers at the time uh, for Greg and Trey centered around BattleBots were like, sue, sue, sue. So they sue Budweiser instead of just like raking, soaking in all that exposure. And that lawsuit is really kind of the beginning of the end for the Comedy Central days because that's hanging over their heads. 
as they go into this next season. And I think that kind of really, really like slowed them up a lot and, and had a big effect on them. And then the nail in the coffin is when Comedy Central is sold to MTV. This leads to the cancellation full on. The network is trying to bring Comedy Central back to its roots. So BattleBots is canceled um, and the announcement uh, is made in September of 2002. Trey Roski said, we've been fighting like crazy to get it back on the air ever since. We've done just about everything you could imagine. Obviously, this is you know years and years before they do bring it back. We tried teaming up with Mark Burnett and James Cameron to get it back. James Cameron, he hated TV, but back then he would turn on his VCR and record BattleBots. He just loved it. Uh, and this is true. Munson talks about that... Uh Every conversation he had with James Cameron was really intense. He would get like, I'm not going to say coke fueled, but he would get manic like rants about how he wanted like flying drones with missiles. Yeah. Uh, At one point after a failed pitch meeting, James Cameron uh, grabbed him by the shirt collar and like pushed him against a wall and was like, listen, if we're going to do this and my name's on it, we got to make it cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he was a complete maniac. That's uh, that's his MO uh, tends to be. You know, there was some there was some sweet moments around this time. The loss of the show it, it pushes the popularity of the sport off camera, uh, and that is a total bummer. But they do um, they they do in an effort to re- rekindle enthusiasm from the younger generation for engineering. They start up a program called BattleBots IQ, a youth program from Greg and Trey, and they hold their first. First ever event in 2002 for high school students to compete at the University of Florida. Trey said, There was this pair of nine and 10 year olds. They built this one that starts as one robot and breaks into two during the fight. <laughs> and they had duct tape in between. They were playing a team of professors from MIT who spent, I don't know, probably $60,000 or more on theirs. They had virtual reality goggles to drive, it had front legs that went in and out of it. It was very sophisticated. And the kids go out, separate, separate the robot, spread out the duct tape, and this $60,000 MIT robot goes right into it. And the kids circle it and keep circling. And this $60,000 robot is now just this wad of tape. <laughs> the guys are lifting up their 3D glasses and the two kids are just high-fiving. I love that story so much. Uh, and in 2009, they do attempt to film and air a collegiate championship via CBS Sport. However, the network couldn't find enough commercial interest. They took it to Fox. That falls through as well. Uh, but this pilot is released on the BattleBots YouTube channel in 2010. And uh, that's the last uh, event, uh, failed event, before they finally get the revival in 2015. The BattleBots IQ program actually did pay dividends eventually because... So many mainstays of the modern series are actually like the grown up children who took part in those programs, especially in Florida. Uh, Bots like Hypershock and Witch Doctor were from teams that like got their first taste of battle bottery in one of those school programs. So that's like kind of kind of a nice little like, ah, the love of the game, all that stuff. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, so, uh, ABC in 2015, they pick up a six episode revival of the show and then another season in 2016. They stop after that, but Discovery Channel and Science Channel grab the baton, give the series four more seasons with, uh, 12 total up to 2023. So the ABC season was a bit of a disaster because, uh, it took, it kept getting, 
uh, pushed uh, or delayed or run over by uh, political events that were happening at the time. Hillary Clinton's acceptance speech, Donald Trump's acceptance speech, all just like completely breaking up the continuity of that run of BattleBot shows. Uh, Munson will often wax poetic about what would have happened if they had a better time slot that like allowed people to watch the show. They claimed ABC, which was mostly focused on stuff like The Bachelor and a lot of female-focused reality shows at the time, showed amazing co-watching numbers that entire families were gathering around to watch BattleBots. And one of the things about BattleBots from Munson's own mouth, as well as anecdotally from talking to fans, especially uh, in the uh, study session, is that this was a family thing. Mm -hmm. This had something for everybody. It was kind of sports for dad. It was cool and sci-fi for the kids. It was violent for just our base human emotions. Without people actually getting hurt, which mm -hmm. is so important. Absolutely. And did, of course, uh, maybe sort of push children to enter STEM fields, which sure. uh, until recently, sorry.com workers as well as game developers was a, a, a pathway to financial stability. But also also, uh, you know, with the engineering thing, for a while there, they had a lot of youth interest in engineering because you had people, you know, to get into a rocket and flying to the moon for a while there. You had this great interest in going to space and, you know, how fast we could get something to move on land here and uh, just a lot of pathways for young people to find engineering, which is a, a parent's dream. You want your kid to get really into engineering for sure. And, you know, it's oh, no, my dad uh, whipped uh, whipped cream pies at me since the day I was born. He was like, dodge him, dodge him. You're going to be a funny man. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, funny man. You're going to be a hilarious, silly guy. <laughs> That's how we'll get our claim to fame. Yeah, it's a really good, good career. And so with BattleBots, you have kids being drawn in to maybe start building something on their own and and to get into the workshop and and you know and 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 then very quickly it's like oh do you want to build something amazing you've got to get you know you got to get that math skill up you know and and it, it's just such a good pathway for so many kids to get into a really good career you know I, I there was this really great story that um, Munson told about having a great uh, Make-A-Wish kid come to a live event. And afterwards, after everyone left, they let him drive, I believe, Witch Doctor around the arena. And he's driving this, this Make-A-Wish kid's driving this awesome battle bot around the arena, uh, one of the top ones, and uh, he smashes it into a wall. And the mom goes, oh, no, don't do that. And Greg Munson's like, no, no, like, that's totally cool. Like, let him do that. And I think there was a really cool story he was uh, telling about how, you know, as kids, we get taught, don't destroy your toys. Don't break your toys. But that's like such the allure of BattleBots where it's like, no, no, no. We want you to fuck your toy up. <laughs> In fact, people will get really hype if you fuck your toy up. And there's something really cool about that. And, you know, again, going back to this inherent need to see things be destroyed and rebuilt again and destroyed again. There's something psychologically moving about that, you know? And it's just a very cool thing. So anyways, um, yeah, for sure. Definitely nowadays, they talk a lot about, to sum things up, a, a huge, huge youth contingent when it comes to what this show is. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know, uh, I've got uh, a quote from Greg Munson about what has changed since the early days of the show. 
and this was kind of already uh, discussed a little bit before. In the early days, people were using car batteries. The NICAD packs became very popular. But with the advent of lithium technology, when the battery packs could be different sizes and shapes, that's when things just took off in terms of power-to-weight ratio. Now you can have these massively spinning disc weapons or bar weapons or drum weapons that can literally obliterate the other robot. Second is the improvement in electronic speed control circuitry. We built a robot called Bomb Machine back in the day, and besides its giant gel cell batteries, which were probably a third of the bot's total weight, we had this big old Vantex speed controller with a big giant heat sink. The ESC form factors have gotten smaller. They've gotten more efficient. They're able to handle way more amperage through the system. So they don't blow up. They've got more technology built into them. So the team can have a person monitoring things like heat. And they'll know when to, for instance, shut a weapon down. You see this a lot now on the show, where they're spinning up really, really fast, going in for a hit. But then they actually back off the, the weapon. And uh, watchers will think, oh, the weapon's dead. But no, they're actually just letting it cool down because the monitor guy has told his driver, hey, that weapon's hot. I'm getting some readings from the ESC. The weapon Weapon's hot. Give me five seconds. That kind of thing. And that's a tremendous strategy. Oh, God. And speaking of which, in the early days, uh, there tended to be just one person. Like, if you look at the old school, it's like literally looks like an RC car remote Mm -hmm. control, like just very analog. Down to the little rev wheel on the side. If you remember your Tyco RC days. Very analog, very simple. Now you've got at least two people. They're wielding like shit that looks like Xbox or PlayStation controllers. Mm -hmm. And one person's controlling the movement. The other person's controlling the weapons. It's this much more advanced uh, approach to this battle robot thing and makes for, again, way more entertaining combat scenarios. Also, they used to design with pencil and paper uh, back in the day. Another huge improvement, the design software that has developed since then. It's way more widespread. It's way, it just has way more of a user base, way more user-friendly to get into. And so because of that, we've got way more striking designs. And this includes paint jobs, better branding, more personality in general, just way more than if you look back, a lot of the old designs were like these very dull looking gray boxes without even like a a logo on them or anything, you know, that they tried their best to hype up as much as possible, but you can only hype it up so much. It's a much more striking situation. Well, I mean, you got Hypershock, which has the whole 80s neon aesthetic. Uh, My favorite for many obvious reasons is Ripperoni, which uh, makes the giant flywheel in the center of it look like a big piece of pizza. And the drive team is all and uh, and engineering team and mechanics are all dressed up like uh, big, dumb Italian chefs with fake mustaches. That, too. The teams are bringing the themes so much better, dude. Like, it is so funny. They're all wearing, like, costumes and shit. It's. You know, in that way, they're leaning more into kind of a wackiness, but it's 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 more it's more what the team wants to bring to it as opposed to like Comedy Central being like boobs, right? Yeah. Dick and balls. It's actually a, a highly technical process where or not technical, a creative process where, uh, you know, because the hobby has gotten so big and there's so many regional competitions and so many teams interested in it, the BattleBots producers will receive upwards of like. 500 designs, uh, you know, full mock-ups, CAD files, the works. And uh, they're judging not only on, like, potential effectiveness and uh, individuals 
previous experience as well as uh, how their previous robots have done in competition, but they're looking for novelty. You know, they're looking for unique weapon designs, unique themes, just anything that'll kind of uh, uh, reduce what they saw. Even back then, the creators of La Machine, the Gray Wedge, the uh, the way that, you know, certain designs will dominate and take over a meta in BattleBots to the point where it's just a lot of impasses and, and, and judgment calls and not a lot of knockouts. And so you get like... Uh, right now, spinners are very dominant, either a horizontal flywheel or a vertical flywheel, but they're still doing their best to mix things up and make sure that each fight looks unique, that each fight uh, evol like evolves the sport in some ways. And they have a little bit of entertainment value in mind as well. Uh, you mentioned the tape robot. There's other stuff where like, OK, you see a robot like wrap up another robot and like pin it to the ground and then just like bump it against the traps or the the screws or all the other things. And like, that's fun the first time, but do you really want to watch that all season? These are all the things they consider the view. They, you know, they consider viewer enjoyment as well as sport integrity. And I think they, you know, tweak those dials just enough to keep the show compelling. Yeah. They're always adjusting the rules and uh, really keeping a good eye on that. Greg and Trey, but here's a quote from Greg Munson about it. Wedges are a very effective, simple machine that can clean up in, a, in robot combat. So we're tweaking how we count the effectiveness of wedges and our judging guide uh, if the fight goes to judges. Meanwhile, we don't want it to go to judges. We want to see a knockout. So we demand that you have to have an active weapon. You can't just have a wedge. It has to be a robust active weapon that can actually cause damage. You, you just can't put a Home Depot drill on the top of your robot and call it a day. That was just something we knew we needed to have to push the sport forward. What seems to be happening is the vertical spinners are now sort of the dominant class. But they now also allow, this is a huge one, they allow for modifications during the actual tournament. So your robot is generally going to have the ability to switch out a few different weapon types. And so you can absolutely adjust on the fly to any competitor you may be facing in the tournament. It causes really cool swings, really fun, uh, you know, wild changes from dominance of of different robots and i think that is also a very cool a very very cool addition uh an example i can think of i'm not sure what the current state of the rules for this is but uh, a very dominant robot in the modern era is uh one called huge yes which is these uh two giant plastic wheels and a massive twin blade spinning uh mass in the middle and it just wrecked robots and as uh, one of the robots that went up against uh huge just like stuck two giant forks on the top of the robot specifically to keep that just weapon at a distance so that it couldn't close the gap and it would just get stuck kind of just it just couldn't connect because they just slapped two prongs of metal on there. That's way interesting. And, you know, huge. Also, if you looked at it, I feel like you would look at that thing and be like, that thing's going to get destroyed in combat. It just looks like it's so easily thrown off its course with those giant wheels. But it is absolutely deadly. I just watched it uh, best its opponent in competition right before we started. Um, whatever. And I think I think it was like season three, episode one. I think I was watching just now. But uh, yeah, another thing with the wedge and knockouts, if you watch now, 
pretty much all the battle bots have the ability to either drive on a flip in a flip state, drive inverted, or draw or be able to flip themselves back over. And that that really also made a huge had a huge effect on the wedge meta, you know? So it, it just constantly keeps evolving. What they try to say is like, obviously whatever wins, you know, what if it's like tombstone or something like that, tombstone wins the big tournament, you're going to see a bunch of tombstone likes the next year. Mm-hmm. And so a lot, they, they Munson and Trey, they really push Munson and Roski. They really push for, if you're going to do like a tombstone, like let's say, you got to add something really, really wild to compl- really, really change the what, iterate on, you know, what what that was. Or they're really always pushing for completely new ideas. They love to see people bring in something just totally insane. Even if it is, did I mention this on episode or where we talked about before? Literally just a robot with a bucket of water on it that douses the <laughs> other robot with water. And that's something that they appreciated it didn't make it to the main show because again that's fun to watch once but after that it gets really boring but still like that's the kind of stuff they just want to see people try shit like those two kids with the duct tape robot they just want to see people bring in these like wild ideas i i saw in the episode i was watching i forget the name of the robot but it was a hammer robot it swung down this massive sledgehammer on the top of it but it was also shooting flames out of it (laughs) It was so cool. <laughs> I mean, like if you're so trying to enthralled. overheat the other weapon yeah. and get some of those razzle-dazzle points, because the way they are judged, there's superficial damage, there's functional damage, there's uh, aggression, there's control, there's all these metrics by which those judges' decisions are made. Um, yeah, throw some shit in there. A great new addition to the sport is the fact that the BattleBots now has a permanent home in Las Vegas, the BattleBots uh, Proving Ground and Destructathon is a near nightly show in Vegas using the official uh, arena that they have set up for the TV show. And uh, Bill Dwyer's back as host. He shaved the goatee. He's looking great. We love him. We love a comedian with a steady gig. Good for him. But uh, teams can come out to Vegas and try their new designs and test them against other uh, robots or uh, established teams can bring their robots in and have a uh, test new mods or test new uh, uh, weapons that they've added to it. Uh, right now, I'm looking at the upcoming matches tab, and we got Travis T versus Apex, Orbitron versus Disarray, and Maximum Paralysis versus Slamo. I gotta look up Slamo. What is what is Slamo? also if you're you're interested in catching an event, I definitely want to watch one next time I'm in Vegas. Like the taped event, I think it's like four plus hours. But that non-taped live event is like an hour and a half. I mean, you, you can get in, see a bunch of really great fights, and get out. I will say the taped event, it sound, from what it sounds like, is a lot more hype. Obviously, there's so much more on the line. There's so much more at stake. It's like the big, the real deal tournament. But still, plenty of opportunities to see bots battle in an arena in Las Vegas these days. So definitely check it out. Jake, I think I have two quotes left to round things out, and that's about it. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we close out this, uh, in my opinion, fascinating episode of BattleBots? I thought this was just so damn interesting between the legal battles, the fact that this thing almost died. It was just a bunch of people meeting up on uh, literally under overpasses 
like in the underground to keep it alive. The way that they've kept it entertaining, how weird it was. The Comedy Central was the home of the show initially and how much it's changed since then. The fact that it's just still in existence today and something that is really built on the passion of so many different teams you know, another cool thing about it is that it is just very uh, mixed gender sport is now more than ever. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of um, not only uh, female participants in the sport, but also uh, viewership as well. And uh, it's really cool to have this very um, kind of m- mixed up uh, in terms of background uh, group groups of different all different types of people. I just love the idea. I've said it before. I'll say it again that you've got literal NASA employees getting their shit kicked in by like kids in a garage in you know Nebraska. I ju- I just think that that is there's something really beautiful and pure about the sport in that way, and I love to see that. Like I love to see it's it's David and Goliath all the time in this sport, and and I think that's really really fun. Uh, to watch and just really beautiful to have in in the kind of sport that, especially when it comes to like tech and things like that, that one would think that, oh, you just throw money at this and you'll take home the golden nut. We haven't <laughs> talked about that. You get a giant golden nut if you win the big tournament. I just want to say, if you are interested in witnessing Robot Combat for yourself, you can go to robotcombatevents.com. There are tons of of regional exhibitions as well as tournaments. I see uh, right now uh, you can make your way to Santa Cruz for the NorCal Knockout. There's uh, the Dollar Hobbies Combat Robotics Meeting in Woodbury, Minnesota, and the Groundhog's Day Massacre in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, that's happening on February 3rd. So here's one quote from Jason Bardis. Uh, he's the driver of Dr. Inferno Jr., My best memories are the many instances where a competitor helped another fix the robot just before they were about to fight each other so that it would be a fun, fair, and exciting fight. My largest and closest set of friends comes from the robot combat community. Whenever I go on a trip, I meet up with my bot friends. And uh, they talk a lot about how the the pit is uh, fascinating. It is just, it is this huge space, uh, way bigger than the arena itself where all the teams are fixing up the robots and and getting everything set up for their fights and there's just such an incredible vibe of camaraderie and uh fellowship that sounds like really amazing and there's constant instances of respect i even saw a fight uh in the episode i watched just now where uh, a robot gets flipped like pretty much immediately and it can't flip back over and the other robot just sits there for a second and just kind of is like spinning its gears and you know the countdown starts there's the the knockout what the 10 second countdown mm-hmm. and the other robot just goes boop and just like pushes the robot and flips it back over cuz it it wants to keep going yeah, it wants yeah. to keep battling and and it wants to give that other ro- the battle bot the respect uh to to continue the fight it flips it again another like yeah, yeah. 20 seconds later and and calls it but still it's you see that kind of shit all the time, and it's amazing. My my last quote comes from Lucy Dew, captain of tournament-winning team Valkyrie. Uh, she's a MIT grad and a really, really fascinating person. I hope to inspire some women and girls to fight the engineering fight, which is not always the easiest path. I would feel very honored if they looked up to me. 
I actually did not grow up watching BattleBots. I knew of it, but only connected with it later in life. There are a lot of more young girls in robotics now that grew up watching the show and became engineers because of it. People now come up to us uh, at outreach events telling us their daughters are really into engineering or robots because of BattleBots. That's really good to hear. It reminds us of the real reason we do this. I love it. All right. All right. There you have it. There's our episode on BattleBots. Uh, this is such a fun one. If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We've already mentioned a couple times our Sunday study session, but for just $5 a month, you will get a weekly bonus episodes from Jake and I, uh, our shooting the shit series. We talk about the games we're playing, the stuff we're watching, stuff that's happening in nerdy news, all that good stuff. Every single week we do uh, an episode on that. Uh, you also get ad-free episodes. I got of, You know uh, what? I, I uh, on a whim, listened to... To our recent episode on uh, Wrath of Khan, not going on the Patreon feed, and yeah, those, are, those ads, man, they pay the bills, they support the network, they're great, but ooh, the option to not have them is sure enticing. Hey, it's there for you. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew, just $5, $15 for that Sunday study session. Check me out, twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. Uh, that's twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. Every week I'm streaming Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, it is just a constant slew. I don't stream on Thursdays, though, because uh, I'd rather let someone else stream. That's right. Puppet Jared. Jake, take it away. I have a little VTuber avatar. His name's Puppet Jared. He's a little scamp. And every Thursday, he hosts the Cartoon Dumpster, a weekly cavalcade of animated atrocities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Each week is a new dimension of insanity because lord you, you're like ah, i'm sure they've made some bad cartoons over the years they've made things so confounding so mind-boggling that it will change who you are on a soul level and there's the only way to experience that is by checking out twitch.tv slash puppet jared 7 p.m eastern on Thursday nights. And if you didn't have enough Twitch channels to watch, we have one more for you. On Wednesdays, we do Tears of a Clown, Jake and I together on LPN TV. Check us out on that as well. Twitch.tv forward slash LPN TV. All right, I think that's enough Twitch channels for one day. And hey, just to close it out, as we always do, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. Had to, I forgot for a second. <laughs> This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.